Hello, and welcome back to Avatar the Podcast. We are so excited to come to you today with part two of our three-part comic arc, The Rift. We are your hosts, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg. Hello. And before we dive into today's episode, we are going to go over a couple reviews. Yes. So the first five-star review over from Apple Podcast comes from user Piggity, and they write, awesome. You guys do an awesome job on this podcast. I have never left a review and have no clue what else to say. So I'm just going to end this awkwardly. And then wave emoji. I think it's supposed to be a rock emoji, but the copy and paste didn't quite work. So I'm just going to say rock emoji because the next Mm -hmm. one is a fire emoji and then wind emoji. Nice. Yes. Nice. Thank you for coming out and leaving us a review. That's amazing. Thank you. Your first review. Yeah. It wasn't... Actually, I really liked how it just ended. It's like, I'm just going to leave this here. Perfect. Well done. I'm going to go this way now. (laughs) Anyway, bye. Bye. Thank you so much. (laughs) Our next review comes from at pound sign, dollar sign, ampersand. I think that's an asterisk. I think so. Yes. (laughs) Parentheses, quotation mark. You get the idea. (laughs) There's a lot there. And this person says, love it. Heart emoji. Hey, guys, I just want to say thank you for making my day. Smiley face. I'm from Spotify, but I wanted to hop over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review because I love this podcast so much. Another smiley face. I can't wait for Cora, especially season four, episode two, and the comics, especially Smoke and Shadow. Upside down smiley face. I like the emojis. I know. I appreciate all the puns and I don't know why, but I love listening to the runaway episode on cloudy and rainy days. Aww. Oh, and five of my favorite episodes in no kind of order, The Crossroads of Destiny, The Awakening, Lake Laogai, The Serpent's Pass, and Sozin's Comet. All of the parts, yes, I know that those are four episodes, but it comes as one to me. Thanks again. Love you guys. Oh, thank you. That's very nice. I like the the switch up. Favorite episodes instead of favorite characters. That's nice. Yeah. Well, you know, people can send their favorite episodes to favorite whatevers. Mm-hmm. I feel like in the beginning, we used to say, what are your top five? And uh, we just never said anything else. No. <laughs> Top five fill in the blank. Yeah. Next review is going to be like top five dishes in the world of Avatar. Well, I'm glad you brought up the next review because it comes from Basin Arley, or as I like to call them, Bebe, my dear <laughs> friend Bebe. And they write three heart emojis. I'm so in love. Sifu Booster Greg and Sifu Acorn Bandit. Oh, you two have been the best Avatar podcast hosts I could ever ask for. Your morals of the episode capture the very essence of the Avatar series, which is that it is so educational. I am very sad that I'm all caught up on the podcast because binging you guys has brought me so much joy during so hard times. But I'll be patiently waiting for new episodes as you guys cover the comics. Thank you both so much for the best puns and the coolest insights. And then it is a blue heart, green heart, red heart, and yellow heart. Also, Greg, when you said Zuko sees the hot stove and has to touch it repeatedly, I lost it (laughs) with four laughing emoji faces. P.S. My top five, Sokka, Katara, Zuko, Toph, and Iroh. Yeah, that's a good top five. It is. Thank you so much for that review. We're hoping you're enjoying the comic episodes, even if you are caught up. Our next review comes from Sifu Kiara, who writes... Oh my gosh, you guys, I'm screaming and a bunch of exclamation points. <laughs> so many things I want to say. Ah, <laughs> I love you guys so much. I've listened to many Avatar The Last Airbender pods, but you guys are amazing. 
I've been a fan since it came out. I was seven. Found you guys two weeks ago, and I'm finally on Sozin's Comet part one and two. I've been putting it off for a week because I don't want it to end. <clears throat> Sweat emoji, cry emoji, heart emoji. Broken heart emoji. Yeah, broken heart emoji. <laughs> this show means everything to me and has really shaped my perspective on important issues. The older I get, the more I relate to it. So thank you from my heart to yours. <laughs> oh, yellow heart. Top five. Number one, Aang, Iroh, Zuko, Katara, and Azula. Sifu Greg, Azula is perfect. Chef's kiss. Agree mm. <laughs> to disagree. I don't think we've fully converted him yet, Not but yet. maybe as time goes on, he'll come to our side. We'll see. We'll see. I will say this. My opinion has changed since the podcast, since we've fully covered it has. most of her arc. Still not my favorite, but I appreciate her more. I think. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much for leaving that five-star review. Sifu, I think it's Clara. Oh, actually it is. Sorry, Clara. Sorry, Clara. Thank you, Sifu, Clara. Next up is Sparkly Pinecone. And Sparkly Pinecone writes, first pod, only pod. Hi, guys. I am writing this review and hoping beyond hope that you will eventually read it. Surprise. I want to say that this podcast is fantastic. That's a double pun <laughs> because fang and ang, and that makes it 48% better. Someone's <laughs> been paying attention. Uh-huh. <laughs> this podcast was the first one I ever listened to. And right now is the only one I listened to. Hence, did I sense correctly? <laughs> the title, Headcanon in the Cave of Two Lovers, when Katara and Aang kissed. I don't think the crystals turned on because of the torch going out. I think Katara and Aang's love for each other lit up the path because love is brightest in the dark. Just my theory. Here's a question. Would you rather spend a day with the gang or spend a day with Zuko and Iroh? Zuko is included in both. Love your podcast. So, 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 so much. Bye. And then like a wave emoji. Oh, that's a good question. Mm. You know, it might be because I'm getting older, mm-hmm. but I might. I think I'm going to go with Zuko and Iroh because that means I get to hang out in the tea shop all day. I'm going to go with Zuko and Iroh as well mm-hmm. because I would be the weird, creepy guy that's hanging out with 14-year-olds. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't seem particularly like a great time to me. But you know, like bending the context. What if in this world that you were younger, maybe in your 20s or, you know, teens? Yeah. Mm, I think I would go with the gang if that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think it's just a good time. Like, I would love to just like watch the group interact with each other when like the Mm -hmm. camera's not on them, quote unquote, right? Like just a day in the life of when nothing crazy is happening to them just to see what it's like and hang out and be be one of the pals. Yeah. Yeah. My perfect answer is I would spend the day with the gang and Mm. then the evening with Zuko and Iroh, kind of winding down, yeah. having a meal, yeah. drinking some tea, if I could have both. I mean, technically, I guess Iroh is a member of the gang, so I guess. <laughs> Extended we member. We want to start bending the rules a little bit here. Uh-huh. <laughs> we could both have our cake and eat it too. Yep. Thank you, Sparkly Pinecone, so much. Our last review comes from Potato500, who says, Sipping tea in the Jasmine Dragon. Dragon emoji. Let me just say, this podcast is the best Avatar podcast I've listened to so far. I love the host's insight and humor, and I think the puns are chef's kiss. Well, thank you. I would make a bad pun right now, but it's too early in the morning at the time I am writing this. Also, it would be appalling. (laughs) There it is. 
This is unrelated, but I feel like Toph would really like Oreos. <laughs> what? Why? I'm thinking about that. I'm processing. Why? You know, I think she would actually, because she would be the kind of person who would smash the Oreos and then eat the pieces. I think she'd really like Reese's peanut butter cups because there's no wrong way to eat a Reese's and she could smash it that way. <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. Potato 500. I need to know why you think Toph would really like Oreos. Besides the fact that they're delicious cookies. Mm-hmm. That goes without saying. I'm very curious. I'm curious what the headcanon is in that, yeah. in that context. Yep. They continue saying, I hope y'all have a wonderful day. Our emoji. P.S. My favorite characters are Suki, because she is a god and you can't convince me otherwise. Toph, because Toph. Mm-hmm. May, because I like the knife skills, and also she is a god. And Sokka, because Boomerang. P.P.S. Mm-hmm. If you could read this on the podcast, that would be awesome. Well, guess what? We just did. <laughs> and why is that? Because you left a written five-star review. And remember, if you want your review read right here on the show, all you got to do is go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star written review because I've said it once, I've said it a million times. If it ain't written, we can't read it. And that's how the written language works. That is never going to get old. Mm -mm, mm -mm. (laughs) I do want to do a quick aside. I know this episode is going to be released after Mother's Day, but we're recording it currently on Mother's Day. So we just wanted to say happy Mother's Day to everyone that is a mother or a guardian or anything. You're celebrating it with your loved ones. We just want to say we hope it was great. And I actually wanted to shout out Singa and Tina Bina because I know their moms and they've been hanging out with me live uh, on my Twitch streams and been saying hi and all that. So I just wanted to say happy Mother's Day to you. And I'll probably say it again on Monday. But, you know, I want to say it here on the show in case you're not around on Monday. Aww. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, all the mothers and everything. I do feel like it was a lost opportunity for us to cover the search during Mother's yeah. Day. Oh, well. Oh, well. Can't be perfect. We also missed the 10th anniversary of Cora, which... We knew it was going to happen. And I think we just kind of brushed by it because it was very painful. Yeah. Yeah. Also, we didn't look at our calendar. So. Well, we did, though. There's, there's, there's that. But too. We I, did. Well, we looked at it like a month yeah, ago. Yeah, that's but... true. <laughs> we were like, oh, geez, it's coming up. Let's just release all the comic episodes right now. No, we can't do that. It's not feasible. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well. Maybe next time. I'd say what ultimately matters is we're still releasing the episodes. Yes. So without further ado. We're going to jump into The Rift Part 2, or as we like to call it, The Tale of Two Spirits. That's right. We return to our heroes the moment after Toph realizes that Lobon's business partner is, in fact, her father. Two stare at each other in shock for a long moment before it's broken by Satoru, saying he didn't know Lao had a family. Lao's face hardens. He tells Satoru that's correct. This girl in front of him is not his daughter. Toph is speechless, her friends shocked. Lao leaves before they have a chance to say anything more, and Loban chastises his nephew for screwing up the factory in his absence. Satoru meekly tells his uncle that he's going to need some time to get the production line up and running again. After Loban shouts a warning that he will replace anyone who doesn't get back to work to meet their deadlines, the group disperses. I just want to say very quickly, in these blasts, this was like two pages, three pages, there is so much pouting going on. Loban uh-huh. starts off with a pout. And then he hardens his face like, I don't have a daughter. This girl's no daughter of mine. And then Toph is kind of pouting a little bit. And then Satoru's pouting a little bit. And then in the background, Katara's pouting a little bit. So much pouting. I don't know. It's a moody bunch. It's very moody. I, don't know. I just wanted to point it out. It just tickled me a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
It's funny. Also, how cold. I, I mean, know. yeah, tough left home and is a runaway, but like, really, dad? It's almost like, I don't know, like, I can't get over his like pouting and shock face. Like, that's more than just shock going on in his facial expression. And it's almost as if he just like kind of knee jerk reacts to seeing her and being like, that's no daughter of mine. Like, I don't have a daughter. What are you talking about? So it's like forced almost. So I think mm. he, he like, he doesn't want to be estranged to her subconsciously. But then he remembers mm-hmm. the dishonor and the perceived dishonor, I should say. Yeah. That her exit left on her family and she actively evaded escape from her parents. So like he's remembering that and stiffens himself, right? And he's just like, nope, we're gonna stick to my guns on this one. So it's it's almost yeah. a little like I like I feel for him. I'm almost like empathetic towards him. Almost. Not entirely, but almost in this moment. Yeah, you're right. The the expression is definitely shock, but it's also almost startled. There's like a sadness in his eyes, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, startled and sad and being faced with the past. But I think you're right. And, you know, with the themes going on in this comic, I almost wonder if that shift from him looking startled to him being kind of dismissive mm-hmm. and closed off from her is like him putting on mental armor. Oh, maybe, yeah. reverting back to what you were saying, the, no, I know how I feel about this. I've made my decision. This is not my daughter anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think we've all had moments similar to this where like maybe a friend wronged us or something and they do that thing where they kind of, you remember why you like them so much and why you hang out. Like, no, no, no. They stole $20 from me. I must be angry at them. Like, you know, like that's a facetious example, but like (laughs) something like that. That moment between these two panels is kind of just really set out to me. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really disprove that feeling for me later on in the book either. Yep. So I don't know. Anyways, just wanted to bring that up. Yep. Well, Toph follows her father and tries to speak to him again. But Lau tells the nearby rough rhinos to escort the confused young lady and her friends off the property. Both Aang and Toph refuse to leave while the nearby air acolytes marvel at how much rule breaking is involved in being an acolyte. The rough rhinos assemble and begin attacking the friends, but Toph and Aang knock them back with combined bending. A new member of the rough rhinos goes toe-to-toe with Aang and complains as they fight that he had to join the rough rhinos because Aang brought an end to the Hundred Year War. The man, Utor, explains that he used to serve in Ozai's army. Aang suggests that Utor find a different group to join, then binds the man's arms together with rock. I'm very excited to learn more about Utor because like, he looks like a new tour. He is big he and beefy. And he's got this amazing dragon tattoo that's kind of covered by his, his uniform. I, I'm very excited to learn, to learn more about him. Something that's kind of interesting about the Rough Rhinos is while the world of Avatar has been expanding, so have the Rough Rhinos. They're actually kind of like Avatar's version of a biker gang for lack of a better term. (laughs) So the group increased in membership following the Fire Nation's defeat, given that many citizens, especially veterans of the Fire Nation army, like Utor here, began to seek groups in which they belong to. So they're looking for Mm -hmm. like-minded individuals. And I guess I would imagine that Rough Rhinos are kind of stuck in the ways of the past, kind of like many other characters we've seen that we've come across. So interesting. And as we've seen, they're a bit scummy. Yes. So they're attracting individuals like Utor and another person that we're going to see in a little bit who's um, mm, questionable. Mm -hmm. And still no Vakir, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sad. Yeah, not yet. Mm -hmm. Don't ruin the surprise. (laughs) Sorry. 
Aang notices Toph catapulting her opponent into the air with a rock pillar and rushes to catch the man on the way down. Another new rough rhino, Sajir, tries to stab the avatar, but Aang sinks him into the ground and impatiently turns to Toph. He urges her to be more careful and fight with an inner calm. Otherwise, someone could get hurt. Toph chides him for treating her like one of his air acolytes, then surges away on a wave of rock. This is actually just kind of reinforcing something we learned last episode right here, where for Yang, it was important to highlight just the philosophical differences between being a pacifist with Aang, right? And the Mm -hmm. more practical, I would even say more aggressive sensibility that Toph has. Yep, yep. And it's also kind of calling back to this whole concept we've been seeing throughout the comics, which is like neither side is right. They just have their different perspectives. And often those perspectives will clash when groups don't agree with each other. So Aang believes in peace and harmony and making sure everyone is living together in balance. And Toph's like, let's just get the job done. Like we have a goal here. We're just going to do what we need to do. And neither side is wrong or right. It's just the way that they approach problems. Yeah. It's also, I think, also important to note Toph doesn't want to be here anyways. Yeah, she's in a <laughs> mm, kind of not a great mood now after yeah. being dissed by her dad. Well, it was also she didn't want to be here because it's all these like rituals that have no explanation, right? We learned that in the last issue. Yeah. And she's just like, get this motions going. I want to get out of here. And then she sees her dad and it's just rubbing salt in the wound. And she's like, I really don't want to be here now. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not just, I think, a different philosophical take, but it's also that whole classic feeling which i think everyone has had where it's just like i don't want to be here let's get this over with move it on come on mm-hmm. nearby Sokka takes on colonel Munka with his machete and quickly finds it to be ineffective against the rough rhino's armor switching tactics he runs away across the refinery grounds and grabs his sister on the way the siblings run to a chain link fence surrounding the clearing and for a few moments appear to be sitting turtle ducks caught at the end of the charging komodo rhino's path but at the last second, Sokka gives them a cue and they dive to the side. The rhinos barrel through the fence, bringing the fight to the bank of the polluted river. This is classic Sokka plan, right? Oh, 100%. I love this so much. I mean, obviously, I love this so much because <laughs> unapologetic Surprise. Sokka fan. But uh-huh. he gets this plan. It actually reminds me of Jackie Chan Adventures. I don't know if you've, if you've ever oh, seen those. Yeah, yeah, right? Where it, it looks like it's cowardice. It looks like it has that like goofy kind of like run away, run away. But really, He's got a plan in motion and then it's not revealed until the very last moment. And it's just mm-hmm. chef's kiss. So good. And guitar is like, what are you doing? Yeah. I had that fight. Yeah, and he's like, I got a one. He's just like, trust me, just quiet. Like, come on over here. Uh-huh. And she quickly gets on board because mm-hmm. she's like, what's gotten into you, Sokka? And he's like, mm, hey, sis, what's that over there? And she's like, oh, a river. <laughs> hey, what's a better weapon for you? Water or a river of water? Uh Uh-huh. Gotcha, sis. Here you go. (laughs) Back by the refinery, the fight continues with Ogade advancing on Ching-Ying and Yi-Li. Jingbo comes to their rescue on a forklift and chases the rough rhinos away. Ching-Ying stops him before he can do the man harm, telling the young boy that being an air acolyte means no smooshing bad guys. Ogade takes advantage of the distraction to use his bolo to capture them all. But the tides turn in the fight once more when the metal bolo unwraps itself from his prisoners and surges toward the rough rhino himself, knocking him to the ground. Toph appears, revealing that it was her in her metal bending that moved the bolo. She reprimands the acolytes for distracting Jingbo from taking care of Ogade, telling them that by following the precepts of air nomad philosophy, 
They're blinding themselves to what's happening in the present. I do want to point out that I really enjoy that Jingbo's name is Jingbo. Because he looks like the kind of guy that you would just like, if his name was Jimmy, like you would just call him Jimbo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He just Jimbo. has that kind of like vibe. Like, take it easy there, Jimbo, because he's so small and he's got the big glasses and like. Uh-huh. Giant pack on his back. Yeah, I very much enjoy him. Me too. He's such a, he's so cute. And he's just like, he looks like such a ang nerd, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Because he's also bald. Uh, I don't know. I love him. You know what? He reminds me of the kind of character who's going to grow up to be Milo from Atlantis. Yes, absolutely. Nerdy, Mm -hmm. but smart, proficient, plans ahead. Yep. Yeah, I love him. Perfect. When Aang joins them after the fight, Ching Ying reminds him that they came to learn about air nomad traditions and to celebrate Yang Chen's festival. They don't want to leave until they've properly celebrated the holiday. Aang is delighted and agrees, telling them that his talk with the refinery owner can wait until after their ceremonial meal. He invites Toph to join them, but the earthbender refuses his offer, claiming that there are a million other things she'd rather do. I really like this. It's a difficult situation. There's a lot of fighting going on, but it's up to his acolytes to be like, remember why we're here. Take a step back, Mm -hmm. like examine the situation. Just because this town is here doesn't mean we cannot enjoy a ceremonial meal. Yep. It's really nice. Yeah. It really shows that they're the perfect subjects to be his first acolytes. They're really embracing mm-hmm. the air nomad culture and the concepts and actually like bringing it full circle multiple times saying, but Aang, what about this? This thing that we've learned. And they're kind of keeping him on track too for his teaching. Yeah, Totally. Aang leads them into town to the tree where him and Gyatso used to enjoy their meal. They find it, but all that's left is a stump. Sad, but acknowledging that it had been a long time, he suggests they move their celebration indoors to a nearby restaurant that they notice has an unusual menu. Inside, the owner recognizes them immediately. And suddenly, the strange menu makes sense because the owner is none other than the Cabbage Merchant. <laughs> the cabbage merchant agrees to let Aang and the acolytes eat in his restaurant as long as they keep bad things far away from his cabbages and order at least one dish. Aang asks for the house special and the cabbage merchant says, one plate of cabbage cookies coming right up. Oh my gosh. There's a couple things I want to say here. First of all, uh-huh. personal, completely subjective note. He looks like in still image form, how he was animated in the show is very nervous, twitchy, like very quick movements. Yep. The Guru Hero team really, really did a great job. And the only time he slows down is when he's like snuggling or nestling his cabbages. <laughs> yeah. It's great. So here, here's kind of what happened. After the 100 year war ended, in case anyone's wondering, the cabbage merchant kept his cabbages safe by keeping them in a store instead of carts. So he's kind of learning his lesson, right? Like he said, Mm -hmm. carts not working out, it's moving. I keep on bumping into Team Avatar. All right, let's just set up shop in some faraway place that he's never going to come visit in a million years. (laughs) We're good to go. And this actually appearance of the Cabbage Merchant was not expected by the Guri Hero team. Oh, I love that. That Yang gave them a a curveball. It's so good. And a fan favorite too. Like we've had so many top fives come in with the cabbage merchant contained in them. So yeah, great. I love it. I we've love been fan hinting service. at that. Yeah, we knew the cabbage merchant was going to come back. I actually didn't know it was going to be here. Yeah, we are going to see him again. I'm not going to give you any details, okay. but this was such a delight. It really it was a nice treat. 
for sure. Like cabbage cookies. Yeah. Another small detail is that his restaurant, the name translates to Cabbage Delicacies Bistro. (laughs) Of course it does. And on the menu are not only cabbage cookies, but cabbage noodles and cabbage soup, all of which are included in the new Avatar cookbook. We still got to make stuff from that book. Yes, we do. At some point. (laughs) At some point, we will. Back inside the refinery, Satoru oversees the bending line where he tells the workers that they unfortunately need to pick up the pace to make up for the other line's losses. The workers complain about how hard it is to concentrate after the explosion earlier, right when Toph bursts through a wall. She asks for her father and a shocked Satoru points in the direction of his office. I love this, like, Toph doesn't use doors half the time. So like the workers are like, oh my gosh, there was this earthquake. There was an explosion. <laughs> We're so distracted and nervous. And then Toph literally has a Kool-Aid man moment mm-hmm. where she bursts through the wall and scares them to death. <laughs> so good. Satoru chases after Toph and offers to walk her there. But Toph fights back that she doesn't want him to have to grovel to his uncle again. He asks what's wrong with respecting his uncle, and Toph tells him there's a difference between showing respect and acting like a sniveling flunky. This angers Satoru, who tells her that she doesn't know anything. Loban was there for him when Satoru needed him to be, something that he will be thankful for for the rest of his life. And not just that, he's family. The young engineer stiffly points to a door behind Toph and tells her that it's Boss Man Lao's office. Then he turns and leaves. Toph enters her father's office and faces him once more. I do like the juxtaposition of her not using doors. And then suddenly when it's a moment, a serious moment that she's going to have, she hesitates. And her version of hesitating is not just the actual act of the hesitation, but also using the door calmly. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Sokka's plan pays off when Katara is able to freeze the group of rough rhinos in murky river water. One particular rhino is in a precarious position. Ye Lu, the rhino's explosives expert, is not only frozen, but he also has a stick of dynamite in hand. Sokka teases him for a few moments before finally removing the dynamite from the man's hand, only to discover that he can't blow out the fuse. He throws it a moment before it explodes and then shouts at Ye Lu that he can't believe that's what he was going to do to Sokka's head. Katara gets her brother's attention, pointing to a shaft that has appeared in the cliff across the river. Sokka eagerly climbs down the embankment, agreeing that if it's a secret passageway, they're going to have to investigate. I love Yalu. <laughs> that whole exchange is so good. It is primo Avatar comedy right there. Yes. I can also hear the reverberation of his voice through the helmet. Oh my God, me too. Kind of like Clone Wars. Yes. Yes. Kind of like yeah. that, that or like, yeah, like that, but like less technology-esque. Uh-huh. But yeah, like you, it's just so good. There's so much hesitation. Well, at first he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just take it, just take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he like pauses. I don't know. It's just the comedic timing of Yelu. And you can tell he's in kind of over his head. It's just brilliant. I love it so much. And also Sokka's in in like the perfect position too. So he's like, so look at you, (laughs) Mr. Explosives expert. He's just like, it's very Bugs Bunny humor. Where uh-huh. there's this impending major threat, but the protagonist, so Sokka in this case, is just like pacing around and the arm behind his back, very confident, just yep. teasing and tormenting because he knows how to um, extinguish it, right? He knows how to make it 
not a threat. And then it, he doesn't because it doesn't work. And then work. it backfires. I do have yeah. a little bit of a headcanon theory here where I think like the spirit world or some major force is like manipulating events here. Ooh, really? Like, well, I mean, like he throws the dynamite and it just so happens to explode, revealing it where they need to go next. You think it could be spirit interference other than instead of Sokka's sockedness? But like, it's just too big of a coincidence. For that to be, and, and it, yes, it's a it's a way for Yang to be like, oh look, this is where they need to go next. Happy coincidence, but like, I don't believe in a coincidence that good. Well, I will say that there's a lot of spirit activity in this area, so yeah. you could be right. If it was Star Wars, I would say the Force is just kind of guiding them to where they need to go, but the Force doesn't yeah. exist in Avatar: and The Last Airbender, so I'm just going to say that's the spirit world. And I think mm-hmm. the way you put it was very beautifully done, where it's the spirit world just guiding them to where they need to go next, right? Mm-hmm. That would be very cool. Yeah. We don't get a confirmation of the spoilers in this issue, at least. I haven't read part three yet, but that's kind of my headcanon in a way. I can work around a coincidence of this magnitude. Yeah. That was a mini pun for everyone. A mini one. <laughs> magnitude. <laughs> Oh, gosh. There's also one little funny moment before we switch scenes where the rough rhinos are talking to each other as they're frozen in in ice. And it's like, I can't feel my arms. One of them, Colonel Monka, is cold. And the other one's like, I told you, you should have incorporated more armor in your outfit. I'm pretty toasty. That's E.A. Lou. He's like, I feel great. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I don't know what you're complaining about. (laughs) So That's why I love him. He's just great. I hope we see more of him. Yep. Back in the village, Aang and the air acolytes begin their ceremonial meal with a blessing. As Aang recites the words, his surroundings fade until when he opens his eyes again, he's in a meadow sitting at a table with the spirit of Yang Chen. The two avatars greet each other and Aang exclaims that he's been trying to connect with her for days. I've been trying to reach you about your spirit's extended warranty. (laughs) Oh no, that was... (laughs) I don't know why that popped in my head. That's, that's really funny, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Yang Chen explains that this is because when Aang broke off his relationship with Roku, he injured his relationship with the chain of avatars who precede him. The meal they now share acts as a temporary conduit due to it being a meal that many generations of air nomads have shared. Meanwhile, in the physical world, the air acolytes wonder why Aang has entered the spirit world and guess that he may be talking to Yang Chen since it is her festival. Concerned about the excitement, the cabbage merchant begins to worry that something bad is about to happen to his cabbages. I really, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I really am not buying this whole like, oh, you need the prayer beads to talk to your past selves. He didn't need that in the series. He talked to Roku every other day. They were practically best friends. Yep. So I thought about that and I think they really did portray it as like him breaking off his relationship by burning the prayer beads. But I was thinking about it and the way that she phrased this, I think there might've been something mentally or spiritually happening in that moment too, where he kind of like rejected Roku and that rejection broke something inside of him. And the prayer beads were symbolic of that. That I'd buy more, but it's a read between the lines kind of thing. And like, I don't, I don't know if that was Yang's initial plan, but like, the prayer beads mm-hmm. are just like not necessary. Yeah. Your explanation works fine without the prayer beads. Like he could have just literally uh-huh. broken off any sort of connection with Roku. And it could have been like an avatar spirit ability thing. And I would have bought that, I think, a bit more. Yeah. They're just putting a lot of like attention on something that 
they're claiming existed in the series when it didn't. Yeah. And the reason I think the prayer was symbolic of it is the way that Yang Chen phrases this. Mm-hmm. When you broke off your relationship with Roku, you injured the relationship with all the avatars who preceded him. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me because Roku is the last one in line, right? Before mm-hmm. Aang. So it's kind of like closing off the entrance to a tunnel. You can't access the rest of the tunnel because there's a block now. Yeah, that part totally get. It's just, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm still just like focusing on when he burnt it. And there's supposed to be this big moment. And it's like, but those are new. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because there was no words. It was like, they're talking, they're talking. Yeah. Aang's like, sorry, Ruku, I can't do this anymore. And then he burns the beads and then there's like, no, Aang. And then it gets pushed away. Yeah. So it does kind of look like it was the action, physical action mm-hmm. versus some sort of interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally get. And I actually like that seemingly you have the strongest connection with the avatar that was right before you. Yeah. And that almost works as like an amplifier to the other selves. I think the exception being on the giant turtle, the lion turtle. Yeah. Yeah. On the giant lion turtle where he could very easily commune with his past selves anyways, because that thing is just made of pure concentrated spirit world energy to the point where not even a sheer shoe can pinpoint where he is. Yep. So that, like, I totally get. And the way it's phrased here is a bit better, but, like, I'm glad that we can just move along from the prayer beats. And Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was, I'm just, like, stuck on it. I'll get over it. Don't worry, everyone. I'll get over it. But it just always sticks with me. What you just said actually made me think of something for the first time. What? So what's our... We have Aang, we have Roku, and then Kyoshi, and then Kurok, and then Yang Chen, right? That's our line. Mm-hmm. I'm now starting to think about the line of avatars differently. Because you're right. The current avatar is closest to their previous avatar. Mm-hmm. So Aang and Roku had a relationship of mentor-mentee. Yes. That means Kyoshi was Roku's mentor. Yes. I'm thinking about personalities here. Oh, jeez. Kuruk is Kyoshi's mentor. I want to read that <laughs> so bad. Right? And then Yang Chen was Kuruk's mentor. That must have been... I mean, everyone knows that is love Kuruk anyways, but uh-huh. just both of those dynamics leads to, first of all, Yang Chen being annoyed with Kuruk because he's just like, yeah, whatever, man. Exactly. Like what I can do. And then... Kiyoshi just being like, am I really stuck with this guy? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm so excited to read. I hope <laughs> they do a book or something about him. I'm hoping it's not a book if I'm being completely honest. I think it's going to be a book based on the fact that we have a Yang Chen book and we got a couple of Kiyoshi books, right? So I think they're doing the past incarnations of the Avatar as novels. But I really want yeah. like something animated, especially with how like animated he seems and what we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Anyway, thank you for bringing that up. It was very funny and made my day, to be honest. Oh my God. I'm now obsessed with the Yang Chen Kuruk dynamic and the Kuruk Yoshi dynamic. I think I also (laughs) kind of figured out why I like Kuruk so much. He's basically the Star Lord of the avatars. Holy crap, you're right. (laughs) That is exactly what he is. He's kind of an idiot. He's naive. He's very cocky. He likes to show off. Like, that's just, that's my kind of guy. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, moving back over to the refinery, as Toph enters her father's office, Lau quietly slides a family photo under the papers on his desk. He tells Toph once again that she is not his daughter and that she should leave before he calls security. When Toph tells him to stop lying, he rises in outrage. 
He tells her that after spending countless hours and a substantial portion of his fortune raising his daughter to be a poised, demure, obedient young woman, the ungrateful thing in front of him cannot possibly be his daughter. Toph retorts that while she knows she's put him through a lot, he has no right to speak to her that way. Her father then challenges her to prove him wrong by greeting him the way a child ought to greet a parent of their class. Ooh. I do want to point out he has that exact same facial expression when they're silently just looking at each other. Yep. It's the same look of shock and sadness. And yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. kudos to the Guri Hero team for like matching that. It seems like every time he sees his daughter, it's like breaking him. Yeah, that mixture of emotions. And for a man who's like so obsessed with the proper way, and and I'm just going to say this, they don't give me any reason to believe this next statement. This is just pure speculation. But I feel like he also contains a lot of emotion internally. Like he doesn't show a lot of emotion. It's not the proper Mm -hmm. way to do, right? You don't just go around showing emotion all willy-nilly. What are you like? <laughs> one of the nomads singing you songs over off in the distance? Uh-huh. Like he's supposed to be composed, right? So for me, this facial expression is him taking all of this emotion and bottling it up and putting it down because that's what you do. Yeah, which is also interesting because that disconnect between the way that he handles his emotions and expresses himself and the way that Toph does. Mm-hmm. Toph is a complete opposite. She'll tell you exactly what she's thinking. She'll do what she wants. Meanwhile, he's reserving it all inside. She brings it out of him too. Because not a page yeah. later, he's got a very stern look and he's getting angry. So he's just her being around is being a more positive influence in terms of mental health, I think. Getting him to express himself. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, from here, we jump over to the mine where we follow Katara and Sokka as they trek deeper into the mine shaft using glowing crystals to illuminate the way. They soon come upon an underground mine that is revealed to be the source of the river's pollution. Before they can do anything more, however, they're discovered by the last few rough rhinos. And one of them has a bow. It's our favorite, Vakir. Vakir, I missed you so much, pal. <laughs> I am so glad that he was not broken beyond repair to just lay down his bow and no longer become an archer. Uh-huh. Yep. It's Vakir and Kachi. Sokka jumps into action, sparring with Kachi and narrowly dodging Vakir's arrows. The arrows whiz past his head and sink deep into a wooden support beam. The wood splits and the ceiling rumbles threateningly. Katara notices and realizes that the weakened support beams around the mine are the source of the earthquakes and that if they give way, everyone working in the mine will be crushed. After freezing Vakir's arms, Katara and Sokka address the workers and urge them to evacuate from the mine for their safety. But they don't move. Nutha approaches them and explains that the Southern Water Tribe hasn't been doing well since the war ended. And unlike Katara and Sokka, who went off with the Avatar, they've had to take jobs in order to survive. Without their boss's order, they're staying put. Upon hearing this, Sokka immediately turns around and leaves to find boss man Lau. Quick art note, Nutha and Nyok, who are in there, are the only miners not wearing a headband or any head covering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was actually interesting. I'm sure it has cultural ties, but the headscarves that all the workers are wearing looks just like the workers in the, I think it's also a smelting mine in Princess Mononoke. Oh, yeah. I thought that looked familiar. In Irontown. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly think it's probably a more shallow reason why they're not wearing headbands. Why is that? Because they're tertiary characters, not background characters. So they (laughs) have character designs. 
<laughs> we have to see their character designs. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think it might be clearly that. I'd like to think yeah. it's more, but I think that's honestly just that's their character design. And uh-huh. they did not incorporate a headband because they have like the blue scarf thing that's around one of them. Actually, around both of them. Mm-hmm. One's just kind of differently. But yeah, I think it might just be that. <laughs> yep. I think so, too. In the spirit world, Yang Chen explains that an avatar's past lives aren't meant to bind. They're meant to guide. If Aang separates himself from them, he will inevitably make some of the same mistakes. And many of them, he mustn't repeat. Yang Chen then tells Aang a story about a time many centuries ago when she was a young avatar. A city stood where the refinery and village stand now, and one stormy night she was summoned to help the king. Together with Master Boma and her two winged lemurs, Pick and Pak, she traveled to the city and presented herself in front of the king. It was there that the king told her the city's fortune tellers had predicted a terrible tragedy, a vengeance from the seas that would befall their city that night. Even though it had only been a week since mastering all four elements, and she was still not fully attuned to the spirit world, Yang Chen knew that the prediction was true. It's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, it is heartbreaking. But at the same time, when we went into this flashback and like the art changed, it's now more sepia colored. Mm. We see Yang Chen. She's like 13, 14. She's like a little girl. I was kind of freaking out a little bit. I was like, oh my God, backstory. Yang Chen is an avatar. Yeah. So excited. I like that she had two lemurs. Yeah, pick and pop. Yeah. They're so cute. They kind of peek out. That means raining. So they pick, oh. pick out of this like little basket. And apparently... They're very different from Momo. They're in very that, timid. Yeah, they're very timid. And yeah. I think I understand why. Because Pick's right ear has like a chunk missing from it. And Pock's tail is a stub. Oh, no. So they got hurt somehow. And now they're like timid and scared. And they just stay real close to Yang Chen. Oh, I need to hug my puppies now. I know. Right after recording, I'm going to go give them a big hug and a kiss. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Oh, jeez, I didn't even notice that with the tail. Yeah, I don't think you can see the tail when they're in the basket, but the concept art shows that there's a stub. Well, you can kind of... You can see it when um they're on... I, oh, what's his name? Oh, yes. On uh, Master Boma. Yeah. When they're, they're on his shoulders, you can see the chunk very... Go. It's one of the things, Blink and you miss it, right? Uh-huh. That you can see the stub and you can see the the chunk taken out of the ear. Oh. Oh, they're trembling and they're so nervous to be there. I know. Oh, I'm a new fan of Pick and Pock. I know, me too. <laughs> Yang Chen explains that she took a position on a cliff overlooking the sea and waited. Then, just past midnight, a great spirit emerged from the ocean. The force of its presence swallowed her and its grief brought tears to her eyes. Yang Chen confronted the spirit as it reached the shore and begged it to share its grievances with her, the avatar, and leave the humans alone. But the spirit didn't listen. It knocked her to the ground and continued on to the city where it began destroying the buildings. Master Boma assured Yang Chen that he would evacuate the city while she tried to talk to the spirit again. You know what's crazy about this is the look of the spirit, for some reason to me, looks so different from the original Avatar series. Kind of gave me like Cartoon Network vibes, if that makes sense. It looks like a villain that you would see in a Cartoon Network show. Kind of. Yeah, I can see. He looks like a Ben 10 character. I can see that. That's what it is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I do very much enjoy the look overall because also like I didn't watch Ben 10 episode to episode, but the episodes I caught, I also enjoyed. I like the character Mm -hmm. designs a lot. So this is right up my alley. It is also very like Shang-Chi-esque. And maybe that's just because we're talking about Mm -hmm. Shang-Chi earlier too. But yeah. It has those kind of vibes. It's very kaiju-esque also in stature. Yeah. It's just very menacing and very cool. Yeah. 
So the design, he has a helmet kind of like a samurai, but the rest of his body is very like, this is going to be a weird way to put it, but bear-like. It's just like Mm. big limbs, very little detail. He's covered in this kind of rocky looking, which we've come to find out is iron. Mm -hmm. And there are like plates down his arm that kind of remind me of like an armadillo. Yeah, it's kind of like if if anyone's familiar with the Fantastic Four, it's kind of like Ben Grimm. It's kind of <gasps> like the thing, yes. but giant if he was a samurai. Exactly. <laughs> the best way I could put it. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Very scary. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the physical world, in the refinery, Toph tries to explain to her father that she's not the quiet little girl he pictures in his head. That girl was an act that she put on to please both he and her mother. His real daughter has become the greatest earthbender in the world, trained the Avatar, and helped end the Hundred Year War. Toph asks him what he has to say about that. But without saying a word, Lao turns his back and returns to his desk. Realizing that nothing she can say will get through to her father, Toph wipes her eyes and goes to leave, telling him that coming to talk with him was a mistake, one she'll never make again. I think we know where Toph gets her stubbornness from now. Oh, geez, that's a great point. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I have been defending Lau quite a bit in this. because Not because I like him. I actually really dislike this guy. Because as a father who right now has an only daughter, I can't even imagine doing this to her. Yeah. But I'm trying to like see things from his perspective is what I've been challenging myself while reading this. He made her cry. Toph doesn't cry and he made her cry. So like, A, mm-hmm. screw you, pal. I don't like you. But I do like that this does show where she gets it from. Yep. But even though he doesn't necessarily show this side to her too, too much, we as readers can see this and appreciate what's going on here. But also she's like world renowned and he's not even showing a shred of pride, right? Like yeah. she created a new form of bending and he's still ashamed of her. He ended a war. She ended a war. Talk about just not yeah. being able to please your parents. Uh-huh. I, for the record, dislike loud completely, but I do like this display that we're seeing here. Yeah. No, that's such a great point about the stubbornness. Like a hundred percent. Yeah. Just then Sokka bursts into the room with Satoru on his heels. He demands that Lao order his employees out of the mine before it collapses. But Lao insists that their crystal mine is completely safe. They even inspect it on a regular basis. Sokka clarifies that he's talking about the iron mine beneath the town, but Lao doesn't know what he's talking about. So Sokka tells Lao to follow him. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, bum, bum. Wait, there isn't a secret mine. What are you talking about? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> In the spirit world, Yang Chen continues her story. She recalls how Boma was able to evacuate the town to a nearby clearing while she battled the great spirit throughout the night. The battle left the city in ruins, but finally, at dawn, the spirit removed its armor of iron ore and spoke. It revealed that his name was General Old Iron and that he used to live on that coast with another spirit named Lady Tianhai. She was an innocent and beautiful spirit who tended the shore of Mose Sea like a garden. General Old Iron served as her protector. But one day, the two spirits met a tribe of humans that settled on their land without permission. General Old Iron was cautious, knowing of tales about humans wiping out other spirits. But Lady Tianhai fell in love with them and doted on them, fulfilling their wishes. When General Old Iron revealed to her that he intended to destroy the humans for both of their sakes, Lady Tianhai stopped him. Seeing that she chose the humans over him, General Old Iron left. Over the centuries, he heard of how that city grew into the most powerful city in the world under Lady Tianhai's guardianship. However, now everything had changed. 
The humans had fulfilled his deepest fears because a few nights ago, Lady Tianhai took her last breath. The humans had killed her and he had come for revenge. A couple little trivia notes on this one. Ooh, yes. Lady Tianhai's name is a translation of actually two Chinese words. It's Tian and Hai, which means sky and sea, respectively. Oh, I like that because she's basically, they come from the ocean or they stay in the ocean, but they're on that edge of the ocean and the land beneath the sky and the ocean. Yeah. Or between, I guess. And also thinking about it from a more ancient perspective as well. If you look out in the ocean, like the, the horizon is the sky meets the sea which I think is kind of cool too. So it's like a more uniform yep. kind of view. Exactly. The initial draft of the story actually involved two lobster serpent spirits who were eventually replaced by Lady Tianhai and <laughs> General Old Iron. Lady Tianhai is actually inspired by the Chinese goddess Mazu and her two general companions served as inspiration for Old Iron. Okay, so it sounds like the original plan was to have two lobster serpent spirits mm-hmm who obviously are from the ocean. But then I imagine that someone from the team went, you know what, this Chinese goddess, let's use her as like our inspiration. And then they turned into humans and it was this lady and her guardian. Yes. I also think this is more Korra inspiration or more Korra drawing upon. Like, yep. I don't, again, we've only seen the season, maybe a season and a half of Korra so far. Just been completely honest about that. I remember any spirits being more human-like anyways, and besides, obviously, the Avatar spirits, the past incarnations. I remember in Avatar, most of the bigger spirits are animals or more Mm -hmm. animal-related. So I think this is also kind of bridging that gap, so to speak, between the spirits of Avatar The Last Airbender and the spirits of Korra, where they might even look differently, like have a couple different looks to them. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there's kind of like also, also lobster serpents don't seem very elegant. Like both of these no. <laughs> spirits have very elegant looks to them. And maybe that's just because the art style completely shifted to a more traditional ink kind of painting, uh-huh. which I actually love. By the way, I love yeah. how it just shifts completely. Even brush paintings. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Even like perspective kind of shifts a bit, right? Like it gets a little bit more flatter as those do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah. Yeah, you're right, actually, because I remember from Korra, we do start hearing about other spirits and there is an age of Rava that these spirits come from, which we're going to learn more about in Korra. But as we've talked about before, they were writing these comics when they were developing Korra. So there is a lot of connection between the comics and the story in them and their plans for Korra, which, mm-hmm. as we've said maybe four times now, I'm so happy for reading these because it makes so much more sense. Absolutely. Seeing this makes that transition into learning more about the past of the spirits. Like, it makes so much more sense. It feels supported instead of coming out of left field. Yes, totally. Yep. Avatar Yang Chen informed Master Boma and the king what the spirit had told her about Lady Tianhai. The king, saddened, told her the story was true. He had caused the spirit's death. He then begged the avatar to intercede on their behalf as the great spirit marched to the shore, donning his armor once again. Instantly, I, I had to know everything. I'm like, yeah. how do you kill a spirit? Why did you kill a spirit? Why are you <laughs> sad about it? I need to know. Yes. Yeah. But we don't find out, which makes me very angry. <laughs> We're oh, going to no. have to wait till part three. <sighs> but geez, General Old Iron is terrifying in those two panels. He's walking towards shore through the ocean. His iron ore armor is 
like rising through the air to mm-hmm. cover his body again. And then he's looming over them. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that you really see about his non-armored self is that third eye that's on his forehead that just gets more menacing because it's just glowing red. Uh-huh. Oof. Yep. Yep. Oh, boy. Yeah. Back in the physical world, Sokka, Lao, Toph, and Satoru arrive in the mine and are greeted by a worried Katara. Lao is mystified by the existence of the mine, claiming that he and Loban had agreed that the cavern was too dangerous to mine for iron ore. At that moment, Loban emerges from the shaft behind them, responding that he pursued the opportunity in secret due to Lao's cowardice. The location's unnaturally high iron ore concentration was too good to pass up. Toph replies that the businessman needs to stop thinking about money and start being more concerned about people's lives. Satoru cuts in to say that Toph has the wrong idea about his uncle. Just because he's a good businessman doesn't mean he's evil or would knowingly endanger anyone. Lao addresses the mine's employees and orders them to evacuate, but Loban stops him and threatens the workers' jobs if they don't get back to work. The rough rhinos get involved and try to stop Sokka from guiding the workers out of the mine, Kachi's spear getting lodged in another support beam during the attack. The support beam fractures and the mine begins to shake and rumble. By the way, quick aside. <clears throat> Secret iron mine. Secret <laughs> iron mine. Loban's been hiding it because he didn't tell his partner iron mine. Yeah. Beautiful. There you you I, we, I said secret mind before, and I was uh-huh. like, people would get angry at us if we didn't have a song. Yep. So, yep. There we go. But what a conundrum going on. Oh, no. It's literally collapsing on them. Yeah. The, you know, the rough rhinos are pretty reckless. Pretty rough, would you say? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> They're, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're in a pickle right now. And it's not just the workers. It's also the bosses, mm-hmm. the security detail of the rough rhinos. This mine is about to come down on their heads. Yeah. But we're not going to see it yet. Nope. Because we're going to jump back over to the spirit world where Yang Chen continues her story. She admits to Aang that at that time, she was still very young and the Avatar state could sometimes be difficult to achieve. But when she witnessed General Old Iron attacking the people of the city, the Avatar state overcame her. She forced him back and reminded him sternly that as the Avatar, she safeguards the border between the spirit and human worlds to ensure that border never grows into a rift. Peace and balance are possible if only he lays down his armor and listens to her. The great spirit acquiesced and shed his armor. The two of them came to an agreement, one that ensured the spirit would not harm the humans as long as there existed a ritual among her people. Aang excitedly realizes that this ritual became Yang Chen's festival. But because of the Hundred Year War, the details have been lost. Aang then asks Yang Chen to tell him the terms of the agreement. But before she can, the distant rumble of the earthquake cuts into the vision. It forces Aang to return to the physical world where he finds the cabbage restaurant shaking and rocking around him. Quick headcanon. Yeah. I'd like to think that the moment Monk Gyatso was like, you don't need to worry about that giant statue lady. Old iron like shifted. Like he just like sensed it and looked. (laughs) Yes. Like that's just my headcanon. It's just kind of whatever. But it's also kind of funny that they created this entire festival to remember Lady Tianhai. Uh And it gets named Avatar Yang Chen's Festival. (laughs) I know. I thought about that too. Oh man, I, I guess old iron couldn't be too mad because he like it's like the monkey's polish, right? Where it's like uh-huh. fine, 
as long as you have this festival, I'll leave you alone. And then they go, all right, we still have the festival, but it's not about her anymore. And he's like, I should have made it more specific. (laughs) Yeah, right. I think it's one of those things where they probably started calling it Yang Chen's festival because she was the one that brokered disagreements and she came from their people. But it is uh, like bordering on disrespectful, I guess. Well, she's the hero of the story, right? Like she if, is, if you, yeah. If you look at it from anyone else's perspective, not just her, we're seeing this from her perspective, but if you look at it from uh-huh. the townsfolk, right? She went up, she decimated their city with this battle, but they are probably blaming Old Iron for that one. Uh-huh. And then she got peace. So they're like, for her, she's probably like explaining it in a way that's like, no, this is about Lady Tianhai. And then they're like, Yang Chen Festival. She's no, no, Tianhai. Yang Chen. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Just have the festival, please. So you'll be left alone. I could see that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but now at least we know who it's about. Yes. And I can't wait to find out. I mean, I don't know how Aang's going to be getting in contact with Yang Chen again because they're not going to have their ceremonial meal. It's over. I mean, they'll have to wait until next year, I guess. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a year to get a conclusion to our story. I hope not. Um, Yeah, same. But realizing that this earthquake is much stronger than the last one and that people will be needing their help, Aang rushes back to the refinery with the air acolytes. They find Sokka guiding battered workers out of the gate, including Neok, who has broken her arm. The air acolytes jump into action and begin administering first aid while Aang listens to what happened. Sokka tells him that Katara is buried in an underground mine with Toph and the rest of the workers because only a few of them could escape before the mine collapsed. Immediately concerned, Aang begins earthbending to create a tunnel down to the mine below. But once some of the earth had been removed, they hear a voice calling out for them to stop. It's Katara. She tells them that they're all okay, but insists that Aang shouldn't earthbend. If he bends the wrong way, the mine might collapse the rest of the way and crush them, made even deadlier by the iron ore in the rock. Perspective shifts to the inside of the mine where we see Katara, Satoru, Loban, Lau, and the rest of the workers huddled together next to Toph, who has sunk into a deep horse stance. And Vakir. Yeah. And Vakir. Okay. He's still, he's the don't interrupt one. my drama. Oh, no, you can see the other guy. You can see the back of his head, the bald guy. I don't remember his name. Loban? No, not Loban, the rough rhino. Oh. I don't know. He's no Vakir, so he doesn't get, I don't remember his name. Oh, yeah. Whoever he is. Yeah. One of That's the other a nice rhinos. detail, though, to include the rough rhinos in there. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're, everyone's in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Even the bad guys, the quote-unquote bad guys. Even the ones who created the trouble. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So they're all huddled together next to Toph, who has sunk into a deep horse stance. And it's revealed that it's her metal bending that's keeping them alive. Of course, it's an iron mine. It is. Ugh. Yep. She's actually metal bending. And that is the end of this issue. Yeah. Well, this, just the last bit of trivia I have, this splash page is what it's called right here, right? Where it's just her, which is Toph mm-hmm. holding up the mine. Actually went through multiple stages of sketching, penciling, inking, and coloring to get the perfect panel. I believe it. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, it's so cinematic because yeah. in the previous panel, the previous page, we see Aang kneeling down on the ground, talking through this hole in the ground. And then we see Katara's face shadowed as she like in a zoom close up as she's telling them about, you know, don't move any more rock. It's going to be dangerous. And then the next page is a full splash page yeah. of this scene and tops in the front. And you can see that she's straining to keep the roof you off see the of sweat. them. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's like, very nervous, huddled together, going, are we going to get out of this alive? And it's beautiful. Chef's kiss. Look at the facial expression of her father, of Toph's father, right there. He's looking at her. He's proud. He's ah, shocked and he's proud. I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. No, he's he's looking at her like he can't believe what he's seen. 
it's a quiet emotion, yes. but you can see the disbelief. Only further emphasized by the fact that no one else is looking at Toph. He is the only uh-huh. person everyone else is looking at. Yep. Oh, what a detail. Yeah. Well done. Well, that's why done. they had to go through multiple stages. Yes. They had to get everything right, including details like that. My only criticism, wow. this is just a personal take for me. I don't like how Katara mm-hmm. looks like a damsel. She got that classic, like her arm up being like, no, don't do it. Save me. Like, that's just like her body language is saying that to me. <laughs> yeah. I think it's because it's the most dynamic pose in the scene other than Toph. Everyone yeah. else is kind of like shrunk in and just staying very still. And meanwhile, it does look like she's like, please, sir, save me. <laughs> yes. I don't appreciate that, especially with all the growth that she's had through the animated series and and through the comics. But I don't have a better pose, to be honest. Yeah, I think the intention is just to show that she's shouting through the rock and she's like projecting. And so her body's in a more dynamic position. I'm also pretty sure her proportions do not line up. (laughs) Look at her feet. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, no. Don't look at her feet. No one look at her feet. Oh, no. Don't look at that. Sorry. Avert your eyes. That's my only criticism. Everything's so beautiful. (laughs) The shading, the lighting, Uh everything, the expressions. Just don't look at Katara's feet because you'll notice where her knees are supposed to be. Man. And it doesn't line up. (laughs) Oh, no. Anyway, that's the end of the issue. Ending on a positive note. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Greg, tell us what is your moral of this issue? The moral of the issue, I'm sure this isn't the prominent one, but it's the one that stood out to me the most. And it's if things are getting a bit too intense or you may be like a bit too stuck in a a mindset, just take a step back and examine what's important. Mm. That's what's kind of stepping out for me, right? Um, We had that the Air Acolytes told Aang that exact same thing, right? We were talking about with the meal where it's like, yeah, like everything is polluted and disgusting and this is not what you thought it would be, but... This isn't preventing us from having the meal. This is why we're here. Let's continue the ritual. Yeah. There's that. There's also, uh, it kind of pertains to Lau and Toph, where Lau is so stuck in his ways in terms of like, this is proper. You're no daughter of mine because you're not being proper. When if he just took a step back, he would realize all the achievements that she's had. And her achievements are far overshadowing his own. And if he's worried about preserving the family name or anything like that, she's definitely like etched that in stone for eternity. Yep. So Mm -hmm. just take a step back and examine what's important to you and do that instead of worrying about everything else. Mm -hmm. That's actually like a very central concept of doing art too. taking a step away from the canvas, seeing it from a distance, you can take it all in. And other than that, you would be nose to canvas, working on these little details that may or may not come through Mm -hmm. if you take it all in at once. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about you? I think mine is branching off of yours. And it's just the importance of listening. Yeah. Because there are different experiences. There's different contexts. There's different histories. Because we're all individual people existing, coexisting in this world. So it's so important for you to listen, actively listen to Mm -hmm. other people and where they're coming from. Because I think that's a lot of what's not happening here. Aang's not really listening to what Toph is saying. Toph isn't really listening to what Aang is saying. Her father isn't listening to what she is saying and on and on and on. When if you actually have an engaged conversation with someone, if you empathize with them and listen to where they're coming from, it creates a lot more understanding and harmony, which is what Aang is trying to tell us in this episode or in this issue peace and harmony and living together. But even he is having some issues listening to other people and and getting their side of the story. 
Yeah, I, I like that no one's perfect in the world of Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, yes. It's very refreshing to see, like, I think it's very easy to be like, you're the bad guy because of this, you're the because of that. But I think with very few exceptions, most characters are well-rounded and there's some redeeming quality to them or some sort of, for lack of a better term, damning quality to them. Mm-hmm. Like with Aang, one of his not so great qualities is he's very stuck in his ways. And he doesn't actually listen. He kind of gets stuck and he can't get himself out until one of his friends pulls him out. And that's just mm-hmm. like any of us, right? Like we're always learning. We're always kind of figuring things out and the world changes with or without us. So it's just a constant evolution that I kind of like enjoy about it. And this is why I enjoy the world of After the Last Airbenders. Like the real world, that world is always evolving. It's a living, breathing thing. So it's just cool to just like take a step back and remind yourself like, you know, is this fight super important to have right now? Am I possibly in the wrong in this situation? Am I the villain? I don't think I'm the villain. I've been watching a lot of TikTok lately. Uh (laughs) No, you're right. And also, Sifa Clara touched on this in the review earlier, Mm -hmm. how the show means so much to us, yeah. to them and to us. And it's just like they said, it shaped my perspective on important issues. And the older I get, the more I relate and understand and appreciate mm. what they're talking about because of that nuance. Yeah, absolutely. What about your MVP? It's going to surprise no one that it's Yelu. I love oh, that really? guy. I love that yep. guy. <laughs> He's the MVP for being cool. He's just hilarious. And if someone's going to give me a hard time about this, I have a backup plan for this. Okay. Without his explosives, they would not have found the iron mine. Ah, interesting. Interesting. But mostly because mm-hmm. I love him. He's hilarious. And he's well insulated. <laughs> we'll give you that. We'll give you that. What more do you want? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be pleased to find out that my MVP is Sokka. Oh, Interesting. Uh-huh. Why? Because, I mean, similar to what you were talking about, it was Sokka's, although it could have been guarded by the spirits, we don't know yeah, yet. Yeah. Sokka's action with the dynamite is what opened the secret passage to the iron mine with Yelu's help. So, yep. you know, it's team effort. But also, Sokka is just so driven to protect the people in this refinery, to get the workers out, to do what's right, to keep the peace. And he's going out of his way to make this happen. As soon as he finds out that the workers will not leave without permission from their boss, he's like, all right, I'll be right back. Mm-hmm. And then marches his way over to Lau's office and says, listen, man, we got to go. Yeah. We need you. Yeah. We're averting a crisis here. So he's just really on the ball in this episode. He really is. Yeah. I do want to just give a special, maybe a half point or something to General Old Iron. Because mm-hmm. while he is the monster from a certain point of view, from his point of view, He's the knight in shining armor, for lack of a better term. Like he's, he is protecting the memory of Lady Tianhai. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, he wants to make sure she is not forgotten to time. He doesn't even care if he's forgotten to time. He's just making sure that she has a festival and that there's some way for her to remain immortal in some way, shape or form. So that was really cool. That stuck with me. Oh, yeah. 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 And before anyone gets mad, of course, Toph gets a point for MVP because she's literally keeping them alive right now. Yeah, she's literally (laughs) like holding up the almost the whole town trying to keep them alive. Yes, agreed. Yeah, so good. You know, I will admit this issue wasn't as exciting as the first one or the previous comics that we have read, but I I still enjoyed it. I enjoy it too. I I think it's just really 
difficult to top the search. I know. It's it's up there for me. It's going to be up there for yeah. me. I wonder if they should have reversed the orders of these. I think maybe it should have gone the promise, the rift, and then the search. I was just thinking that. Like, while it would have been painful yeah. to read these as they were coming out and to have these set up to finding Ursa and then going on this little side journey with the refinery and the rift, mm-hmm. it would have felt so good to get the conclusion in the search after. Yeah, because right now they're really paddling upstream. Uh-huh. It answered everything we wanted to know from the main series. And now it's kind of like, well, what else do we do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tough daddy issues, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Which, to be fair, was a big dangling thread. Oh, so kudos to them for doing it. But at the same time, yeah, the, the buildup and the tension. Well, actually, I guess this all depends on what happens next. Yes. Because next is, what is it, North and South? Next is Toph Beifong's Metal Bending Academy and then Smoke and Shadow. And then Smoke and Shadow. Yes. Okay. So I guess it depends on what happens in Smoke and Shadow. Also, it would make sense for Toph Beifong's Metal Bending Academy to come after this because mm-hmm. it is a Toph-focused comic. Yeah, but like, I, I'm sticking to our guns. I think that the search would have been the great ending to this trilogy of books. And then we move on. But it's still like, I'm, I'm enjoying the more subtle things in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Lau and his facial expressions some of the headcanons that we had kind of been discussing a bit. I think the search didn't lend itself too much. It was very cut and dry in terms of this is what happened. This is how everyone feels. Very little room for speculation unless you're like us and just talk about Vakir all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this one definitely is more up to fan interpretation, I think. Yeah, it's opening the scope a lot. And so I like really appreciate anytime I get details about the past avatars, I'm like, gimme, gimme, gimme. I need to know everything. Yes. Which is why I'm so excited for the books, the Kyoshi and Yang Chen. And like you said, I really, really hope that means that they're going to be going down the line, Mm -hmm. writing books about all the avatars, because I think you will die if a Kuruk book comes out. Yes. And you would be like, all right, Acorn. So we're about to get to the books. (laughs) Let's do Kurok first. We're just going to cut in line everyone (laughs) and just cover Kurok first. It's fair, right? It's because it's more recent, right? That's that's, that's totally how this podcast operates. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So fingers crossed. I hope that's going to be a thing. Yeah. But I'm enjoying it. Um, As we've said before, this is the perfect setup for Korra. The more we read of the comics, the more excited I am to get to Korra, the Mm -hmm. more at peace I think going to be with that transition, that giant time hop from like a more medieval feudal era to like the Industrial Revolution in the Avatar world. This is good. This is really, really good. Agreed. Well, that is it for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed The Rift Part 2. If you're all caught up with our episodes, as many of you are writing in to tell us, feel free to check out the rest of our content on YouTube including our past Angmail episodes and Avatalk episodes. Mm-hmm. And we have a, our very special streamer friend over here who streams every week. Tell them where they can find you, Greg. Oh, me? Oh, yeah. I stream. You can find me over at twitch.tv slash Greg on Monday and Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We just finished up a psychological horror game called In Sound Mind, which was really cool. Looked so good. It was a lot of fun. It also had a nice heavy nod to Alan Wake, which is one of my favorite games. So I was super into that. Next up, I don't know where I'm playing on Monday, but we are going to start playing Darksiders Genesis with my friend TV's Casey. And that's going to be the end of the entire Darksiders franchise. So at least so far. So I'm very, very much excited. And it's a prequel. So I'm very interested to see where that goes. Oh, wow. Yeah. But yeah, hang out with me. A lot of people already have from the community. 
kind of mentioned a couple of them earlier. There was Tina Bina, Singa, Hatter. I haven't seen him in a while, but my friend Cyan, I hope you're doing well, pals. So many wonderful people. I'm forgetting a bunch of people. You're all going to be mad at me. Yell at me on Monday or Friday evenings at 8 p.m. <laughs> Eastern Standard Time. We haven't shouted out in a minute. I do want to say that if you wanted to help support the podcast in a way other than the five-star review, Patreon, patreon.com slash avatar the podcast. We have secret mm-hmm. podcast episodes. We have some art in there. We got FA, not FAQ. We got Q&As. We got, maybe we got FAQs at some point. Who knows? Who's to say? We got a whole bunch <laughs> of cool stuff on there for you. All you have to do is pledge at the $5 tier or higher. Yep. Yep. And you can find me online at Acorn Bandit. I also create enamel pins, which you can find at joysons.com, J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com or on Etsy if you search for Joyson Studio. Mm-hmm. We want to thank you so much for joining us today. We're looking forward to our conclusion to this arc of comics, which is coming up next time. Yep, it's the Rift Part 3, if you didn't figure that out. This was right. You know, because this, 3 comes after this is 2, and two. There's, there's 3 total. Three. And there's no 4, so the next one is We already did be. 1. and Yeah. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. So everyone knows. Yep. See you next time <laughs> on Avatar, Avatar the, the Podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our other podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.